Just before I um, launch into the word this morning, just wanted to uh, give everyone a heads up that last Sunday we had a special members meeting after the service and at that meeting the membership has voted not to join with Hope Church and I spoke with Josh uh, only this week uh, in relation to that and uh, have received a card from Josh and Sharon this morning so I'd love to read that to you because I think it's really encouraging. He says, Dear Gary and Jane, thank you for the strength you have given as you have stood with us through our current season. Your love and support has been felt and so appreciated. To you and Infuse Church, we want to say thank you for your amazing generosity to us. It's our prayer that your seed will supernaturally multiply across your life and your church. We have been humbled by the show of support and pray that we can be that to you anytime you need it. All our love, Josh and Sharon, we love you. That's a great card. So uh, just wanted to encourage you with that uh, and just uh, bless you with that. They're just good people. I've got to tell you, they are good people and we love them and really care about them. So uh, we're going to unfold, uh, obviously, in the future about what look, uh, partnership or network uh, for us looks like and we're going to uh, do that slowly and carefully and um, we're just going to uh, take some time to do that. So continue to pray for us in that area. It would be really great. Uh, this morning, you ready for the word? Yeah. Excellent. I've got a, a, a word burning on my heart. And uh, you'll be surprised to hear that the, the, the subject of my ma uh, message this morning is called Why People Follow Jesus. Uh, and you'll think, oh my goodness, he's been talking about that for about three or four weeks. No, actually it's a bit longer than that, but it's okay. Uh, I, I just got this burning in my heart about why people follow Jesus. And uh, this morning I just want to share some thoughts around that. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word that brings freedom it brings us something we can stand upon. It's solid. It's rock solid. It's not going to move about underneath us. It's what you say. And I thank you that this morning as uh, I speak that the Spirit of God would use my words and implant them and transform the people's lives to become uh, something that, that they can cling to, hang on to, that we can see something different we've never seen before and that we can move forward with great strength. We can move forward knowing that your hand is upon our life and that something's about to shift in our life in Jesus mighty name. Amen? Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. I'm ready to preach. Are you ready for that? Cool. Okay, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says this, though I may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Though I may be overpowered, no, one, one may be overpowered, two can quickly uh, defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. As I've looked at the life of Jesus more and more, I've come to understand that uh, Jesus lived a three-directional life. Uh, and just as a three-stranded cord uh, that is interwoven, they overlap with each other, they're crossed over, so too the three areas that Christ lived, that Jesus lived on the earth, they're, they're, they're interwoven, they're, they're stranded together and they're woven through the fabric of his life. I brought in a, a rope to uh, the, this morning's service and there's some yellow cord and there are some blue cord. Now to you it might look like there's only two cords that are in this, but no, actually when we just peel back the layers like an onion, you'll see that there are actually three cords that make up this rope. That gives this rope incredible strength, and it gives it uh, the ability to do what it's, uh, it's called to do. Uh, and I just want to start to talk this morning 
about some things that God's laid on my heart in relation to this three-directional life that Christ lives, and I believe that God has called us to live as well. See, the first direction that Jesus lived was upward. Jesus had a vertical uh, focus. He had a vertical direction in his life. And it's the first direction that we're going to look at this morning. He spent time with his father. He started his day talking with his father. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning. Now, very early might be 10 a.m. for you. It might be 11 a.m. for you. For me, an early morning would be around about 4.30, 5 o'clock. That's what time would be an early morning for me. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Some of you didn't even know it got dark at night. <laughs> Jesus got up. He left his house and went off to a solitary place. Now, a solitary place means he was the only one there. And that's when he prayed. So in this time, he's gone off on his own and he's had this vertical focus, this vertical direction in, in the start of his day. When things were about to be difficult and painful, Jesus talked to his father about it. He went vertical again. He was about to go through a very difficult period in his life. He was about to do something. He was heading towards the cross. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22, verses 41 to 44, he says, he withdrew a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. And his first thing was, Father, Father. Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. Jesus had a vertical relationship. He had a vertical direction in his life. Jesus gave thanks for the, uh, to his father for the bread and the fish before he, he gave them out. Jesus uh, prayed before he taught. In Luke chapter 9, verse 18, we can see it. Luke 9, 29, it says that just before uh, Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus prayed. Jesus had a vertical relationship that was vital to strength and wholeness and seeing him outwork his purpose in life. Jesus had an upward direction. It was a relationship that took him vertically. The second direction that Jesus had was an inward focus. He had an inward direction. In other words, he met with and encouraged and taught and did life with his disciples and with other believers. There was this inward area with the body of Christ that he was doing life with. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Then, because there were so many people coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So there was this, this inward area where Jesus had an inward direction, an inward focus in his life. It says in Luke 18, 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So he's told them about stuff that's going on in his life. In, uh, in when uh, the, uh, the parable of the sowers, the word was being told to uh, the, uh, the disciples and the big crowd that was there, Jesus specifically said to his disciples, because they said, can you explain to us something? We're not getting this thing about this, this parable of the sowers. So he took them aside and he unfolded what he was talking to them about. So Jesus had this inward focus, this inward direction where he was able to, to live life, not just vertically, but with those that he was doing life with as well. The third area that Jesus had a direction was he had an outward direction. Wasn't just vertical, wasn't just inward, but Jesus had an outward focus as well. 
He ministered to the crowds, to the world that was around him. He fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. He was mobbed by crowds that were repressed in upon him. Blind Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus and he was healed. So whether it was in the thousands or just a single person, whether it was in the streets of the, of the towns that he was ministering to or in a home, whether it was on land or from a boat, Jesus had an outward focus to the world around about him. His very purpose on, in coming to the earth was to provide salvation to all mankind. I've got to tell you, it doesn't get any more outward than that. So there's this vertical direction that Jesus had, there's this inward direction that Jesus had, and there's this outward direction that Jesus had. So over the last few weeks, I've been talking about this, why do people follow Jesus? And we've talked about a whole range of things about why different people have followed after Jesus. Some because of his miracles, some because they were just nosy, they were curious about what was going on, some because they absolutely hated Jesus. Now, there were some people that followed Jesus because they loved him and they, they understood that in him was life itself. The reality is that you and I, if we were to sit down and talk about why are we following Jesus, that just as uh, there are so many people in this room, we would have that many different reasons as to why we are following Jesus this morning. Some, though, followed Jesus because he called them to follow him. He called them to follow him. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus did the same with the brothers James and John. These people, he later became known as disciples. And as Jesus uh, had a life that was lived three-directionally, I believe that God has called us as disciples that we too are to live life three-directionally. And yes, these areas will overlap. They will in, uh, interweave across each other and around each other as well. It's, it's, it, you can't just do life in one direction. These things are going to, to mold together, shape together, blend together at times. Because I've got to tell you right now, I need my vertical relationship with God when I go out to talk about Jesus in my world. I need my, the people around about me praying for me, doing life together with me so that I can know that God is for me and not against me and stuff like that. We need those relationships around about. They're going to intertwine with each other and to interweave with each other. And that's what helps us to live life and, and live life well. There's so many people. We don't just have one person in our lives that means something to us. We have a multiplicity of people in our lives that mean, mean something to us. So we are going to need to understand that as I talk about this this morning, there's a three-directional uh, thing that's happening in our lives that we need each area working in. Is that okay this morning? Cool. I might get excited. So the question we have to ask ourselves, and I shared a little bit about this at the IC team night uh, last Wednesday, is that if, if, what, is a, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? If we want to make disciples, then we need to know what a disciple is. More than that, if we want to make disciples, then I believe that we need to be 
a disciple. We can't teach people to do things that we're not ourselves. Does that mean I can talk to you about stuff, but you'll catch what I've got. If I'm saying to you that I've got an ingrown toenail, but I've got the flu, you're going to catch the flu, not an ingrown toenail. I mean, this just goes to, to stands to reason. You know, if I breathe on you, you're not going to catch my ingrown toenail. You're going to catch the flu. So when we're talking that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we are following Jesus Christ, then there's got to be some authenticity to what we're saying when we're talking to our family and our friends, to the people that we're doing life with. We've got to say that this is who I'm following. That's what it is to be a disciple. We are a disciple before we make disciples. So what does it mean today in our culture when we say that we are a disciple of Jesus? And again, I'm going to just lean into something that uh, I believe is scriptural, but also taught by a gentleman called Jim Putman from the Discipleship Organization. So this morning, uh, out of Matthew 4, verse 19, I'm just going to pull this, these three parts of this particular verse apart so that we can see what a disciple is. So this particular verse says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So the first part that I want to pull apart this morning is come, follow me. Jesus said to come, follow me. So a disciple, there's three essential elements into this. So the, the first element of a disciple is this. When Jesus said, come, follow me, a disciple is actually someone, catch this, this is deep, someone who follows Jesus. Hey, <laughs> eh? Like, you know, just meditate, silah, pause, think, ponder. <sighs> got that one cool he says come follow me a disciple is someone who follows Jesus in other words they worshipped him they worshipped him it's a living it's living life with a vertical focus it's it's a part of the strand in our cord that binds us together. It, the Bible says, be anchored, uh, anchor yourself in the word of Christ. Well, I could think oh, I need three cords that are going to help me to be anchored and bind myself to the word of God, to the person of God. I need those, and this is the first cord. It, it, it's this vertical relationship that I have. It's, it's my call to worship God. It's, that's the vertical thing that needs to happen. In Matthew 16, verses 15 to 17, it says, uh, but what about you? Because Jesus just said to these guys, who do people say that I am? So now he's, he's, he's drilling it down. He says to these guys, he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, that this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. The disciples didn't just worship Jesus with their words. They worshiped with them, him with their very lives. When Jesus first called these guys to follow him, we see the response that they, they had. In Luke 5.11 it says, So they pulled their boats up to the shore and they left everything and they followed him. They left everything and followed him. They left their positions. They left their jobs. They gave up their family and their friends. They worshipped Jesus with their lives and they followed Jesus. Most fundamentally, to follow Jesus means to worship him exclusively. Exclusively. You're saying that's very hard. That's very downright. You know, it's just like black and white. What? Jesus sometimes is black and white. There is only one way to get to the Father. That's black and white. That's black. I mean, it's, it's an inclusive message. 
It's a message that goes out to all of mankind, but it's exclusive in the fact that you can only get to heaven by one means, and that is by the person of Jesus Christ. I might bottle you. So, fundamentally, so as Jesus said to the woman at the well, the Father is seeking what? True worshippers. True worshippers. John 4 verses 22 to 23 says, and this is Jesus talking to this lady. He says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father speaks seeks they're the ones that he's looking for the ones that have an eye for him only just this vertical this this vertical focus that we're to have as a disciple we're following Jesus and we're going to worship him alone when we follow Jesus we won't be able to stop worshiping God the more that we follow Jesus we see the lengths that he went to for us the love that he has for us the grace that he gives us and the worship will flow as a natural consequence of having spent time with the king of all glory you know, um, I love what Christiane shared over communion about, you know, the genealogies and stuff like that. The reason that some of those genealogies are in place and that they are so important, it's because we understand that Jesus was king. He is King Jesus. And with any king, it's based upon the lineage that you come from, that you can trace back your roots to the very core of where you started from. John started his gospel. He said, in the beginning was the Word. For John, the most important thing that we needed to know was that God is Almighty God. He was there in the beginning. He spoke things into being. We worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, do we not? So it's important that we do understand that we're worshipping a king. John 10.30 tells us that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is God. Our worship comes from the realization of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. As disciples of Jesus, the reason that we follow Jesus is that we get to worship Jesus. We don't have to. It's just because of being in his presence, we see the beauty and the magnitude of who he is that it draws this out of us. I can't stop but worship God. This morning during worship, I was absolutely taken with my King and my God. I couldn't help but lift up my hands and I had tears streaming down my face and I, I said God I'm here this is what I was created to do and that's to worship God you've drawn worship from me because I've seen something in you we get to worship God the joy that flows from who he is in wonder at what he's done and the awe of what he's about to do too because there's this sense of expectancy. God, if you've done this already, I'm looking forward to the rest that you're going to do in my life. I'm looking forward to the hope and the joy, the, the faith, the healing, the breakthroughs that we're going to see. Because I've seen what you've done and I know that you can do so much more. That creates worship in us. It goes vertical. We see an example, a couple of examples of two contrasts in worship. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see this. This is where the, the Ark of the Covenant is being, being brought back into the city of David. 
And there's this great big procession that's happening and, and uh, David is leading this, this, uh, this processional worship that's going on as the Ark of the Covenant is coming back in. He's down to his, his, uh, his board shorts and, and, he's, and he's just enjoying what God's doing you know, and, and just the exuberance that he starts to worship God. He just worships God for all that he's, he is. He's dancing joyfully before God. He's celebrating his God. There's worship that's gone vertical. But there's someone who's watching him. It's his wife. It's Michael. who She's standing in a, in the, in a window looking down on, on David as he's worshiping. And, and, and before all of these people, the whole city's come out to see this procession. And there's David in his board shorts just doing it down and dirty uh, and, and just getting there with worship and stuff. like. And Michael's looking at him. And she's despising him because he's making himself look common in, in front of everybody else. She didn't see the fact that he was worshipping his God. He was worshipping his, and it was worth doing that. Can I tell us this morning, can I encourage us with the greatest of, of care and caution? Don't judge the way people worship and praise. Don't look at them and judge them for it. Let people just worship God how they feel that they need to do that. That's why we encourage as a church, if you feel comfortable, lift your hands. If you feel comfortable, you can stand. If you feel comfortable, you can wave a flag. If you feel comfortable, you can lay down and just soak in His presence. I don't care how you worship, just worship. Let's just worship. Let's just worship. In Luke chapter 7, we see another example of how someone worshipped God. There's this woman. She comes in. She is not the most... She's not the woman with the greatest reputation in the town. I don't know how to say this nicely. But she had a reputation and it wasn't a good one. I know this because simply the people that were in that room with Jesus where this woman suddenly came into, they knew who she was. I've got to ask the question, how did they know? How did they know? How did they know what sort of woman she was? But beside that, this woman comes in. And she just comes up behind Jesus and begins to weep over him. Begins to wash his feet with her tears. And he dry, she dries Jesus' feet with her hair. And she's brought this, this expensive perfumed oil. And she breaks this over his feet. And Jesus says something so, so amazing and so powerful. He said that what this woman has done will be told throughout all of time. It will be recorded for everybody to see because she worshipped him. And it doesn't matter who we are and where we've come from. God loves it when we worship him. It's this vertical thing that happens in our lives. It's a part of the, the thing that makes us stronger. It's a part of the threefold cord that makes us stronger. It's this vertical relationship that we have. Following Jesus and worshipping Jesus it's the, one of the, it's the first chord that makes us stronger as a disciple of Christ. The second essential element of being a disciple, we look back in this Matthew 4, verse 19. It says, come follow me. And Jesus said, I will make you. Everyone say that. I will make you. A disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. Someone who's being changed by Jesus. Not only are we following him, but we are being changed by Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus and they worship Him. A disciple is someone who's also being changed by Him as they serve Him. 
as they serve him. It's the second cord that makes us stronger as we're being changed by Jesus. As we follow Jesus and submit to him, he will change us. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, end of the message Bible. You guys need to write this down and get this in your heart in some way, way, shape, or form. Memorize this, perhaps. God says, God knew what it was he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. I love that. We're being changed into the image of Jesus. That's, that's what God's doing. When we're following Jesus, when we're, uh, we've got this, this thing that's happening, this is something that's, that, uh, this is where it, it goes sideways. This is the inward part of this three-stranded cord. It's, you know, it's the second part of the cord that makes us strong. We're, we're in relation, we're doing some life inwardly. That's why our connect groups are so vitally important. We need more connect groups as a church because we need these inward relationships that are happening because it's the thing that we can stand on, we can rely on in times of, of hurt and struggle and, and stre- you know, like stress that's going on in our lives. We've got people that we can lean into and we can gain strength from that. It's this, that we need that vitally in our lives. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're not in a connect group, why? Why wouldn't you be in a connect group? I'm, I, if and a connect group can, can look like this. It can look like a, a group of people meeting in a home around a Bible study, maybe have some worship. You talk about the scripture. You maybe talk about the sermon, whatever it is. That, that, that can be one look of, of what a connect group can look like. A connect group can also look like a group of people meeting in a coffee shop where you just gather together to strengthen one another and you maybe talk about what's, you know, what's happening. Hey, look, I hear you're struggling about something. Let's pray about that. It doesn't matter where we are, or, or, uh, but God's still in that meeting. God's still in that meeting. There's still that vertical connection in that connect group that causes us to say, you know what, this is something that I really, really need in my life. We really need to gather together as the body of Christ for strengthening, for equipping, for, for stre- like a love and support that we need. So not only is our direction changed, but also our actions and our beliefs. When we follow, we act, but it's Jesus who's active in changing us. Transformation is a cooperative work when we are a disciple of Jesus. We read what the Word of God says and we decide to enact that in our lives. It's where we learn the value of what it is to serve one another, to serve God in what we're doing. John 13 verse 5 says, it shows us another picture of Jesus that we're to worship. And this time Jesus is kneeling before his disciples as he washes their feet. This doesn't sound right. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the one that's going to take away the sin of mankind. And here he is on his knees with a towel around him and he's washing the disciples' feet. Peter says, this isn't right. And some of us say today, you know what? We agree with that. That just doesn't sound right. But then Jesus doesn't do things the way that we expect or the way that we think sometimes. Sometimes Jesus has got to go outside of our experience to get through to the things that are really he wants to talk to us about. Sometimes God will offend our minds to see what's in our hearts. Someone will say something and you'll get really offended. Well, suddenly you've got a fence in your heart. Did you know that that was there? God did. He just wanted you to see too. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And that's part of this inward life. How are we going to go forward? Are we going to forgive?
Jesus actually said to Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 13, verses 14 to 15 says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Are we serving? Are we serving this morning? Are we serving God? Are we serving the people around about us? Are we leaning into that? Are we, we being a disciple of Jesus? Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as, have, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Look around. You're sitting with the body of Christ this morning, one part of it. That's why I'm, I'm loving what we're going to be doing with Pastor Alan Meyer in the Mastering Your Money seminar that's coming up on the 22nd and 23rd of March because we're partnering together with Glorify Church to put this on. We're doing this as a part of the body of Christ. We need the different parts of the body of Christ to function as the body of Christ. We need each other. John 13, verses 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the world's watching us. Who are we serving? Are we out for our own selfish gain, or are we in this to help other people, to pick them up, to give them a hand up, not just a handout? We need to do that as a church. To be a disciple means that we serve like Jesus. It means to love our brothers and sisters through acts of love, even when it's an inconvenience to ourselves. Jesus, we need to follow Jesus. Being a disciple is being someone who's being changed by Jesus. We no longer live to please ourselves, but to please the one who died for us. And we do that through serving others around about us. The third element of being a disciple this morning and again, we're going to look at a piece of scripture that we're looking at. Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. It says, come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So the third element of being a disciple is simply that we are someone who is engaged in the mission of Jesus. This is the outward sign. This is the outward direction that we live our lives. Not just vertically, not just inwardly, but outwardly as well. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. They worshipped him. And it's the third chord that makes us stronger, that we are engaged in the mission of Jesus. This is our outward focus. We aren't being transformed to embark on a mission of our choosing. I've said this so many times. I believe personally that our purpose in life is not our choice or our decision, but it is our discovery. God has placed gifts and abilities, strengths, weaknesses, challenges in each and every one of us. And what God has called us to do, He's put within us the ability to do what He's called us to do. And sometimes we've just got to peel back the layers like an onion, like I said, to see what God has put within us, to see what our purpose in life is. It's a discovery. It's an adventure. It's something God's called us to do. We are changed to join Jesus in his mission. Luke 6 verse 40 says, A student isn't above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. 
So if we're following after Jesus, not only will we have relationships that are inward, where we're building up one another as a part of the body of Christ in our connect groups and as a part of the body of Christ, but there's this outward focus that we have as well, that we're here to see and populate heaven. A disciple becomes like the teacher in morals, methods and in mission. Just as Jesus had an upward and an inward focus, Jesus also had an outward focus. And as disciples who followed Jesus, we too have to have an outward focus. We become someone who's engaged in the mission of Jesus. John 20 verses 21 to 22 says, says this, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We are a people who are sent. We've been sent and commissioned by God himself, Jesus Christ. John 17 verse 18 says, And as you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. That means that Jesus' disciples, as his disciples, we're on a mission. We are the Blues Brothers, baby. I'm on a mission from God. And so are you. I don't know any of the songs in that film. I've never even seen the film, but I just like, I like that. I'm on a mission from God. I know that's sacrilege to some of you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus has sent us for a purpose to reveal God and to redeem people who are living in our world that are far from God. We too, as his disciples, filled with the Spirit of God, are sent for a purpose, and that's to tell the good news. Paul said this to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 to 17, it says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? If they've not heard, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless someone sends them? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. God's chosen you and I to go and tell the world about his love and his grace. God's called us to go on a mission. To be a disciple means to point people to Jesus. It means to talk about Jesus and his love to those around about us so that they too can come to worship him and serve him and they too can find purpose and meaning in life. It means that we gladly seek more worshippers, more servants, and more missionaries. Did you know that you're a missionary? Did you know that this morning? You're called to be a missionary. That's why Jerusalem, Judea, it starts on home base and we move out from there. I'm called to be a missionary in my home. You're called to be a missionary in your home. How are you leading your children? How are we doing that? How are we modeling servanthood to our children? How, how are we helping our kids to see what it's like to think of others before themselves? We're, we're missionaries. You may not be in a, in a faraway country, another nation. Let's get it right at home. 
Let's get it right at home. See, Infused Church is a place where we encounter God. We become passionate followers of Jesus who help others encounter God. We're here to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Encounter follows encounter. So this may be an incomplete description of what a disciple says. And we could possibly say things this way. Someone who follows Jesus with an upward focus. A disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus with an inward focus. And someone who's being uh, engaged in the mission of Jesus with an outward focus. Here's my challenge today. Here's my challenge this morning. In what area do we need to spend time developing our focus? Have we lost our vertical connection? Is that a tenuous attachment that maybe we have this morning? We're just not feeling it like we used to. We're just not sensing God speaking to us with clarity like we once did. Maybe we've lost connection inwardly with the people around about us. What can we do about that this morning? To reconnect, not to disengage. Not to disengage. God's not finished with us. There's this inward focus that we need to have. I need the people around about me. I need you. I need you. Then, do we have the same heart that God has for the people around about us? Those who don't know Jesus... Those who maybe, and it doesn't need to just necessarily be about um, the unsaved in our world, those who don't believe the same way that we do. But maybe the outward focus is that, you know what, we know someone who used to be in church. They had that connection. They were vertical, baby. They were on fire for God. But you know they're not going close with God anymore. Maybe that's your outward focus this week. Where where is, is the Holy Spirit leading you this morning? Let's stand. Where is the Holy Spirit leading you this morning in this whole thing about this three-directional living? Because I've got to tell you, when one of those strands, one of those cords is missing, when that one of those cords is missing, this, this rope is weakened. It's not able to do the things that it was called to do. Because it's been weakened because there's something missing. It might be vertical, it might be inward, it might be outward. But I've got to tell you this morning, I believe that a threefold cord is not easily broken. It's why there's the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we are spirit, soul and body. Where is the Holy Spirit leading you this morning? What is He saying to you this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your people today. I thank You for Your people. I thank You for the call of God upon them. I thank You that You are creating a people that follow You with passion. And we, Lord God, surrender to that call. We say, Lord God, we want to go vertical with You. We need to go vertical with you. We want to worship you this morning. We want to serve you with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to build up our lives. I want to have someone else's back 
in my, in, in my inward connections, Lord God. I want to stand for them. I want to stand with them. I want to link my arms in theirs so that we can stand against the onslaught of the enemy that tries to bring division, tries to, to separate us. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to see that there's an outward call as well. That there's people around about us that maybe aren't walking with you like they once were, or maybe they just don't know who you are. They don't experience and know, and know what your love is like. Help us to connect with those. Father, I thank you for the goodness of God in Jesus' name this morning.